Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. And Lord, we look forward to that day when all is right and all is truly well. And we do gather with the great heroes of the faith, saints throughout the ages, and praise you together with all of God's people. And we recognize that even as we worship you in this moment, Lord, that that we do that in some spiritual way that we can't quite wrap our minds around. But Lord, we look forward. We look forward to the time when we will be with you forevermore and all will be well. Until then, we pray that you would shape us to be more like Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would take out the dead things in us and, and fill us with the life of your Holy Spirit so that the fruit of your Spirit would flow forth from us and truly bless those around us. And so, Lord, now as we turn to your Word that we declare is inerrant, and as we are in the presence of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would transform us, that you would make us more like Jesus, so that when this experience comes to an end and we go out into the world, Lord, they see more of Christ in us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I think I was in middle school the first time I ever heard the definition of the word character that has stuck with me throughout my life. I'm pretty sure I saw it on a poster in somebody's classroom. So teachers, all those posters you put up, all those bulletin boards you make, keep doing it because those things can stick. But the definition of character that stuck with me around that time was that character is what you are when no one is looking. That, that was based off of a John Wooden quote, but it stuck with me. Character is what you are when no one is looking. When you're not trying to impress anybody, when you're not trying to put on some sort of a show, your character is who you are in the secret, who you are in the dark, who you are when nobody is watching you. And another poster that I saw in a public education's worth of school uh, for at least 12 years was that character counts. I can still see it. I went to school in the 80s and the 90s, and so the posters were very 80s and 90s. Beth, you remember what I'm talking about. A lot of loud colors, a lot of craziness, but character counts, and indeed it does. Our character is that, that, that moral center, that foundation of integrity, or the lack thereof. That shapes everything about who we are. That's why it's so hard when we see people that we trust have some sort of major fall from grace. How could this be who this person really is? Well, the truth is it is vital for you and for me to know the truth about who we are. It is vital that we understand that that our character matters. And if you really want the truth, this can be the tough part. Who we really are when no one else is looking is the us that God knows best. Did you know that? God knows us more intimately even than we know ourselves. And so God knows who we are when nobody else is looking because nothing is hidden from His sight. And one day, He says, in judgment, everything will be revealed. Isn't that encouraging? And so what we're asking God to do is to change us from the inside out, to make our character more of what it needs to be. What does it need to be? Well, think about this. Our character needs to match the character 
of Jesus. Think about the life of Jesus. Think about the way that Jesus interacted with people. Now, of course, he had different conversations in different contexts with different people, but in every moment of Jesus' life, his character was steady. Not only is he the same yesterday, today, and forever, but when he was walking the earth, he was the same in every situation. It had to be miraculous to observe that he was always coming from that moral foundation, that center of integrity. It never changed. No matter where he was, no matter what he was doing, no matter who he was talking to, Jesus was always steady with his perfect character. You and I, we tend to have facades. We tend to put on a mask. We're going to come to trunk or treat tonight, and some people will have on masks. Well, we come to church with masks on a lot more often than just trunk or treat, don't we? And, and here's how you can tell. How's it going? Well, it's fine. And you know that's not true. Nobody who's living in a sin-fallen world is perfectly fine. If I was any better, I'd be twins. I'm too blessed to be stressed. Well, that's great. You're lying right here in church. Because you were stressed out all the way here. Most of you had to drive down Scottsville Road to get here. Some of you had to drive through construction on Small House Road just to get here. You were stressed and blessed all at the same time. But the thing about it is this, that God sees through all those facades to the core of who we are, and He wants the core of who we are to become more like Jesus. So today, we're going to talk about character. And God, through James, the brother of Jesus, is going to challenge us. Are you used to being challenged by God through James yet? Well, he's going to do it again today. So I want to invite you to turn with me to James chapter 4. If you're in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, we're still on page 1013. We'll stay there for a while. James chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 11 through 17 today. And we're going to look at this theme. By faith, we do the right thing. By faith, we do the right thing. If our character is like that of Christ, we will do the right thing. As we continue to grow to become more like Christ, we are called to do the right thing. James is going to explicitly use the words today, do the right thing. And so James writes, beginning in verse 11, let's look first at verses 11 and 12. James writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit saying this, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Our first point today is this, by faith, we do not speak evil. By faith, we do not speak evil. And notice that James addresses us as brothers. As, as, as he's speaking here, speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ, we think that when we speak evil of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are failing to love one another as Christ has loved us. You remember what he said in the upper room just after he had washed their feet? He said, a new commandment I give to you in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And do you remember that time when Jesus pulled one of the disciples aside and said, I want to talk about this guy. Can you believe what Andrew is doing? 
No, you don't remember that? See, here's the thing. James has talked to us about the tongue twice already. And he's talked to us about the things we say to one another are deeply important. But now I want, I want us to focus in on those private conversations. You know, those side conversations. I think it was Clary on Steel Magnolias who said, if you don't have anything nice to say, come sit next to me. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, a bunch of sinners. Everybody always cracks up when I know things about steel magnolias. or uh, Anyway, never mind. But think about what comes out of your mouth about other people. Now, we're not going to pass around a microphone and have confession time here. We don't have enough time to do that today. Besides, I think most of us would get out of here as quick as we could as the microphone started going around. When we, when we speak evil of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're not mimicking the character of Jesus. Jesus never whispered in one disciple's ear about another disciple. No, if Jesus had a problem with a disciple, who'd he go to? He went to that disciple. Can you imagine Jesus gossiping, getting those boys together and saying, let me, let me tell you all the juicy piece of information I just received. And yet, what do the people who are supposed to be like Jesus, what do we do sometimes? Sometimes, sometimes our uh, prayer requests are thinly veiled nuggets of gossip. We got to be careful. In fact, that was a question that one of the listeners to our podcast, Beyond Sunday, sent in. How do we know if we're going from prayer request into gossip? You should listen to the Beyond Sunday podcast. That's the kind of questions that we answer. It's a good one. But Jesus never gossiped. When we speak in arrogant judgment of one another, we are making ourselves on par with God because God is the lawgiver, God is the judge, and, and God is the one, the Bible says, right there, who is able to save and to destroy. So God is the judge. So I will not arrogantly elevate myself over you to become God to you. I'm not. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus uses the word hypocrite. You know what a hypocrite was? Somebody who wore a mask. An actor. A hypocrite. Somebody who's playing a role. And he said, before you go to judge your brother or your sister, check your own life. Because chances are good. God knows things about you and me that are just as egregious as the things God knows about that person. In Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge, who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? It appears again in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 when Paul is being judged and he writes in verses 3 through 5, but it is with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, 
but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. And we're reminded in Romans 12, 19, never to seek to avenge ourselves. Why? Because we leave it to the wrath of God. It is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so I do not stand in arrogant judgment over a brother or sister in Christ. Now, let me give you one important caveat here. This does not mean that we don't humbly have honest conversations about areas of sin in one another's lives as we journey together. If God's Word is clear on the issue and my brother or my sister is stepping into that issue against God's Word, the most loving thing I can do is to say to that brother or sister, but notice what I just said. The most loving thing I can do is to say to that brother or sister, not about that brother or sister to somebody else, but to that brother or sister, hey, God, God has been pretty clear here. And, and what you're getting into is dishonoring God, but it's also destroying you. And so we have a responsibility, and in fact, that's right there in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul is addressing the church at Corinth, and they had a young man there who had engaged in an inappropriate relationship with his stepmother, and nobody was saying anything about it. Everybody was acting like everything was just fine. And Paul writes in verses 9 through 13 of 1 Corinthians 5, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. In other words, sinners sin. But God's people are called to a higher standard and empowered by the Holy Spirit not to walk according to the patterns of the world and not to walk according to the desires of the flesh. And he continues in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you're to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So there's this balance here. You know, if, if I see one of my kids stepping across God's line into something that's going to destroy them. Can that happen, parents? Yeah, that can happen. All y'all over here who just sang so beautifully, that can happen. My love for my children compels me to speak up. But here's what I don't do. I want you to get this. Let's say one of my kids messes up. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to talk to them along with their mother. We are the authorities placed in their life. I might consult experts, medical professionals, or, or therapeutic professionals, or, or, or counselors, or, or pastoral intervention. But you know what I'm not going to do because I love my kids? I'm not going to say, well, let me tell you what Griffin did. Let me tell you how Reagan messed up. You know why? Because I love them, and I'm not going to do that to them. Well, if I love them and I'm not going to do that to them, why in the world would I do that to somebody I call brother or sister in Christ? Even if it's under the guise of, well, I heard such and such. We need to pray for them. 
right? And so there's the balance. I'm not going to stand in arrogant judgment over you. There's a thousand things that, that are not addressed in the Bible about the different ways that people live their lives. There's, you know, there are also ways that are clearly addressed in the Bible. And my responsibility as a brother in Christ is to say, okay, we're stepping our toe across the line. You're dishonoring God and you're destroying yourself. We need to, we need to look for, for, for redemption here. We need to change our path. That's what love does. But love doesn't broadcast that to everybody. Love doesn't make a show of that. I mean, it's just so nasty what some people do in the name of Jesus to other human beings to broadcast their struggles. I, don't, I, I just don't believe in that. And the reason I don't believe in that is I don't think the Bible believes in that. There's a pattern. We're going to get to it. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells us exactly how to do this. But I don't sit in arrogant judgment because the judge and lawgiver is Almighty God. Now, if I see a brother or sister in sin, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to lovingly seek to restore them. But I'm not going to broadcast it to everybody. Even if it's under the guise of a prayer request in some sort of a group setting. Because I wouldn't do that to my kids. Why in the world would I do that to you? James continues in verse 13. Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Our second point today, by faith, we do not boast about tomorrow. By faith, we do not boast about tomorrow. The problem here is not making plans. Okay? That's not the problem. I have a calendar on my phone. My wife and I share it. We put events in because our life is crazy. And we stay ahead of things, and we forecast things, and we, you know, I mean, making a budget is making plans. But we don't do so without any acknowledgement of Almighty God or any humility to realize that our plans may not be the way things go. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And in Proverbs 16, 9, it says, the, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We don't know what tomorrow holds, so we can't boast about it as if we're going to do whatever we want, no matter what. Proverbs 27.1 says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And Jesus himself said, telling a parable in Luke chapter 12, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So should we dream dreams? Should we make plans? Should we set goals? Of course. But we do so with the humility that God's direction for our lives may be different from what we're anticipating. I was so proud. I, I like to plan ahead. We got another preacher in here. I like to plan ahead in my sermons. 
And in 2020, before January 1st of 2020, I had the whole year planned. I mean, I had every sermon text. I had every sermon title. I had the whole thing planned. And then on Saturday, March the 14th, my plan went out the window. I didn't preach a single message I had planned. Why? Because I can't forecast the future, and I can't. Today, we've been studying every weather. I thought about calling Chris Allen, my friend Chris, but he's always wrong anyway, so I thought maybe we'll do the opposite. I don't know. Um, I love Chris. We don't know what the afternoon is going to hold or the tornadoes that struck our area on December the 11th and January 1st. We didn't know they were coming. Things can change like that. So what do we do? It's not that we don't plan. It's not that we don't dream. It's not that we don't seek to get out ahead of things, but we do so with the humility that that the direction of our lives may be different, and we're going to trust God no matter what the path looks like. We're going to trust Him. We're not going to boast about what we're going to do tomorrow, all the money we're going to make tomorrow, all the things we're going to do tomorrow. No, we're going to trust that God will lead us through whatever we may be called to walk through. And some of y'all know how that feels. Intimately, you know what it is for the doctors to say, we got, a, we got a new battle to fight. And all of a sudden, let me tell you what happens when you have a new battle to fight. Your schedule is wiped clean. You know why? Because you got to fight a battle. You weren't anticipating that battle. You weren't expecting that battle. But the battle nevertheless has found you. And you trust that God will walk with you every single step of the way. But the things you had planned, they got to change a little bit. So we don't boast about tomorrow. But I'll I'll, I'll tell you this. Though we don't know what tomorrow holds. You're finishing the quote right now. They made a song of it. It's a good one. We know who holds tomorrow. But let me give you a little further assurance. If you're in Christ, although we don't know what tomorrow holds, we know who holds us tomorrow. For Jesus said, if you are mine, you've repented of your sin and you've received Jesus Christ, you trust and follow Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are in his hand and no one can snatch you away from him. In fact, you're in the Father's hand. He says he and the Father are one. No one snatches you away from your heavenly Father. If you're in Christ, you belong to God and that's where you're going to stay. So what does that mean? Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Our third and final point, by faith, we do the right thing. By faith, we do the right thing. Now, specifically in the context of this verse, James is talking about the sin of omission. There's a sin of commission where I do what God said not to do, but there's a sin of omission in which I don't do what God said to do. And how many of us could say there have been times when we knew good and well what we were supposed to do according to Almighty God, according to His Word, according to His Spirit, and we chose otherwise? Well, that's sin. You know, for me, a lot of times, it's out and and just just being in public and, and having the opportunity to get to talk to people. I love to get to talk to people. But sometimes I'm in a hurry. Or sometimes I'm frustrated about something. And I'm not in the mood to have a talk. And yet the Lord, it, it, it's, it's almost as if that's when he's most clear. Hey, you, you need to have this conversation right now. Oh, I don't want to. I didn't ask you what you wanted to do. I'm your Lord, right? I'm telling you what I'm telling you to do. Go do it. And you know what happens when you obey God? You're blessed. You're blessed. So what do we do? Well, 
Let's say that we have a brother or sister who is stepping across that line. How do we handle that? Matthew 18, this is the voice of Jesus speaking, verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to you, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That's doing the right thing in the right way with the right heart according to the pattern revealed in Scripture. Not pulling, across some, not pulling aside somebody else and saying, did you hear about so-and-so? But if your brother or sister sins against you, you go to them. Who said that? Jeff? Mm-mm. Who cares what Jeff said? Jesus said that. And if they won't listen, then take some witnesses. And if they still won't listen, then, then, then this is restorative to say, okay, if you're going to be a Christian, you need to act like a Christian. If you're not going to act like a Christian, then you've got to make a call here. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. But not broadcasting it for the world to have a juicy nugget to talk about. No. We do the right thing, following the pattern of Jesus, who always does the right thing, no matter what. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.